get ready. Every dinosaur statue you've ever seen or a skeleton is made from uh, ground up chicken bones from China. To question everything. Yeah, she she told me that. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> okay. What do you believe? As I was looking around, it looked like an extraterrestrial starship. I mean, it, it felt like it was a starship. And why do you believe it? I, I do, based on my belief in scripture, I do believe that there is some sort of eternal consequence, or you could even say eternal punishment. This is Unquestionable with Calvin Smith. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Unquestionable with Calvin Smith. It's me, Calvin, your only host here. Um, I'm joined by a super special guest today. I'm joined by Mr. Jay Lee. And uh, Jay Lee, I've actually been on his podcast before. It's super interesting. But Jay is a Christian blogger and uh, the host of the Intro to God podcast, as well as the Daily Sabbath podcast. Uh, he has a passion for communicating about God, faith, and the Bible in ways that are simple and relevant. So Jay also enjoys engaging with diverse audiences across lines of ethnicity, culture, and theological beliefs on his podcast. And he lives in Southern California with his wife and two young daughters. So like I said before, I was on Jay Lee's podcast before and had a really great time. So I encourage you guys to go check him out, check out his podcasts. I will link everything Jay Lee related in the description of this podcast. But with that, Jay, it's nice to see you again and uh, welcome to the show. Hey, Calvin, thanks so much for uh, inviting me onto your podcast. So yeah, I mean, it's been awesome invite uh, having you as a guest on my podcast twice. And so it's kind of cool to kind of, it's like I'm a guest in your home now. So yeah, uh, thanks for inviting me. Absolutely, man. I had such a fun time, you know, with our first discussion that, you know, I thought you were the perfect person to, to have on my show to, to talk about, you know, the Christian belief, because, you know, I, I talked on your podcast before. And I figured, you know, okay, Jay Lee, I'm going to, I'm going to put him, you know, probably number one for, uh, you know, coming on my show, but I figured I'd reach out, see if I could get oh, cool. anyone else who maybe, uh, had some different beliefs or, um, mm -hmm. anything like that, but no one was willing to come and, you know, have a discussion with me. I tried oh. to find someone. So, I mean, luckily you're always open to a good chat. So, um, yeah. thanks again. Yeah, I, mean, I, I really I find it. that kind of surprising, but yeah, I appreciate you. Being I know. I mean, I, I really try, you know, I even, uh, you know, I have a couple friends that, you know, I've invited on to, you know, talk about Christian belief and they just, they aren't comfortable coming on for some reason, but, um, you know, I don't know. If, I don't know anyways, but, uh, let's get into <laughs> some questions. I have a couple questions for you that, you know, when I was on your podcast, I wasn't a hundred percent clear on a couple things. So I figured that we could just have a discussion on it. And um, just a couple general questions um, that like my wife had for you and uh, a couple other people that, that knew we were going <laughs> to okay. have this discussion had um, wanted me to ask you. Sure. Um, and, and just to preface, yeah, I mean, I'm not like, it's not like I have the, all the answers. I, I don't want to come off as if like, I think I have all the answers and I can answer all of these questions perfectly. Of course. So I'll do the best that I can from my own belief and my own perspective, but please Absolutely. don't see me as presenting myself as having all the answers. Yes, exactly. That, that is definitely, it's good that he clarified that because I had to clarify that on your show as well, that, you know, I'm an atheist, but I don't know everything about atheism. I'm not a quantum physics physicist or, you know, any type yeah. of science. I'm just a guy who just, you know, lacks a belief, you know, so I, mm -hmm. it's good that you preface that, but mm -hmm. uh, yeah, with that, I guess, tell the audience a little bit about your podcast, you know, what, to, what do you, what exactly do you do on your podcast? And are you doing both daily Sabbath now and intro to God? Yeah. So, you know, my main podcast is the daily Sabbath and that one, you know, I have every week I have uh, an interview. Sometimes I do solo ones, but uh, just on, on certain, certain important faith topics. But I would say that that podcast is definitely geared towards uh, Christians, people who are, you know, believers, they would probably be the ones who would be most engaged mm -hmm. with that, except, you know, I mean, obviously I've had you on yeah. and, you know, you don't have to be a Christian to be interested in that conversation. So that's my main podcast, but I did do sort of this side short run podcast called intro to God. And that podcast is geared specifically towards, you know, somebody like yourself, or maybe people who identify as being agnostic, or just don't really know what they believe, but they're interested in the conversations. 
And so that podcast, there's one season and it's, it's only four episodes. They're very short, only 20 minutes long. And the first season was uh, geared or the first season was dedicated specifically to arguments that suggest the existence of God. And so, yeah, that, that one's not like a continual running thing, but just a, a short run series. Maybe mm-hmm. there will be a season two if, if people are interested and people want more. Um, definitely, if there is a season two, then it will be intro to Jesus. You know, the, the first season, it was really very philo- philosophical and much more geared towards just kind of arguments that might suggest the existence of any God, <laughs> not necessarily particularly like a Christian God or whatever, but just some sort of God. And then if there is a season two, probably more specifically an intro to Jesus and the Christian God. Gotcha. Okay. Very, very interesting. Yeah. You know, I saw that you were doing, uh, cause you know, you've been talking a lot about the intro to God, you know, on social media and I'm like, man, he's, he's, he's doing a lot of work here, man. <laughs> he's got a lot on yeah, his no, plate. No. You know, I do one podcast. And I'm like, geez, Louise, that's a lot, but, uh, yeah, I guess, um, how long have you, have you been a Christian? Have you been Christian your whole life? And I mean, what exactly is your denomination? If any. Yes. So I became a Christian my senior year of high school. So um, I don't know what the math is on that. I'm 40. <laughs> <laughs> so what, however many years that is. I'm not going to date yourself. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. so I didn't necessarily um, grow up Christian, but I, my parents, my mom is a Christian. And so we did grow up going to church on occasion, um, you know, like holidays and things like mm-hmm. that. But um, yeah, I definitely was not a believer. And there were many years in my childhood where we weren't really going at all. Um, so it wasn't until my senior year of high school that I actually, you know, some, a girl, actually, a, a girl invited me to come to church with her. Oh, okay. And then, you know, I wasn't that interested in the faith component. There was some interest. I was more interested in, in, in sure, yeah. going to church. Um, but that's when I like really learned like, okay, what is Christianity about? What is Jesus about? What's the gospel? And that's when I became a believer. Um, I think the second part of your question was, what was the second part of your question? Oh, just, do you have a particular denomination that you, you identify with or are you non-denominational? Yeah. So I I would say I don't necessarily identify with a particular denomination. I mean, the church that I, you know, went to when I was in high school was a Southern Baptist church, which that denomination is is in all kinds of trouble right now. Um, And then the church that I currently attend is non-denominational. So I wouldn't identify with a particular denomination. I would maybe, maybe terms that some of your listeners might be more familiar with. I would say I identify with like Protestant Christianity. So I'm not like Catholic or something like that. Um, and maybe I, you could even say that I'm a evangelical Christian. So, you know, like we, we believe in the, the authority of the Bible as the word of God, um, the importance of having a personal faith mm-hmm. in Jesus. Th- those would be some of the markers of, I guess, what you could say, like an evangelical. Sure, sure. Okay, that's interesting. So I guess with that, is there, was there like a smoking gun uh, that, you know, did you, did you read the Bible and then, you know, dis- decide that Christianity and, you know, the God of the Bible or God of Christianity is you know, the, the true God or, you know, what was, did you have a smoking gun or was it just kind Mm -hmm. of a slow process for you? Um, let's see. That's a good question. I, I don't know if there was a smoking gun per se. Um, it did happen pretty quickly after I started going to church, Mm -hmm. you know, that my senior year in high school and just hearing about Jesus and, you know, kind of what the Bible has to say. I would say if there was a smoking gun or what was it that basically made me cross over that line and decide to, to believe? Um, I think it was conviction, personal conviction. So it wasn't like somebody presented like a scientific argument or anything like that, you know, or it's not like somebody gave me a presentation about, you know, here is the evidence for the historical (laughs) reliability of the Bible, but it's just the message itself. Right. Um, And I would say some of the key points of the message are uh, one that, you know, we, are created by God, right? That we're not just here by accident, but that there is a God who created us. And, um, but that something at at some point went wrong with the creation where um, we rebelled against God. And because of that rebellion, it has resulted in all these consequences in the world where basically the world that we live in and the disarray that we see, the suffering, the injustice, all of that stuff, 
even, even the disarray we see in nature itself, that all of that is a ramification of this rebellion against our God and um, the broken relationship with him. And so, um, you know, but basically what Jesus came to do was to repair that relationship. And the only way to repair that relationship is it, to reconcile us to God is there's this problem of, um, like, if you think of sin as like criminal <laughs> acts, mm -hmm. right, you know, that we've, we've essentially broken God's laws. And so we're guilty under that law. And so how can we be reconciled to God when there's this uh, criminal, <laughs> this is a, probably a poor way of explaining it, when, when, when there is this thing between us, right, where even though God is our creator and he loves us, he's our father, but at the same time, he's also the judge of the universe, and we're criminals and we're guilty, we've committed crimes, and so Jesus basically, he comes to deal with that penalty by taking it upon himself, uh, and then he is able to offer forgiveness to us. And so, yeah, I, I mean, I'm not, I don't want to like just preach through the whole gospel here, but um, I think that worldview, just somewhere along the way, I just felt convinced or convicted that that was true, that yes, I can see that, well, one, I, I, I don't believe that we're all just here, you know, by accident. Um, and then number two, I, I can see yeah, you know what, it does feels like there's something wrong <laughs> in the world and there's something wrong in humanity that we have this thing in us that just tends us towards destruction, self-destruction and destruction of one another. And then three, if there really is a God and we really are you know, guilty of breaking his laws, yeah, how are we going to <clears throat> be reconciled to him? How are we gonna deal with that? And okay. so just that, that's when the message of Jesus that he came to take that penalty on himself so that he can offer forgiveness to us makes more sense. And I okay. just felt convicted that that was true. All right. I got you. And that I needed that. Sure. Sure. Um, so <clears throat> what do you think of, I guess, let me ask you this first is, do you think that the Bible is inerrant do you believe that the bible um you know i guess from page one to you know whatever page it ends on do you think it's all you know <laughs> true and infallible and it's it's the actual word of god mm -hmm. um i do believe that yeah so that is definitely something that i do believe that um yeah the bible it's it's more than just a book that the the authors of the bible were not, not that they were like necessarily like in some sort of trance and then just kind of like transcribing, mm -hmm. you know, the words, that, but that God was working through these, these people that he kind of selected to, to write uh, an inspired word, a word that is kind of inspired by his spirit. And so I do believe because his spirit is behind it and because his authority is behind it, that you know, like if, if God is inspiring this word, then it doesn't really make sense that it would also be full of, you know, <laughs> you know, errors and contradictions. So uh, I would say like, if you were going to try to pin me down, I do believe in inerrancy or some people use the term infallibility, the infallibility of the Bible. Yeah. Okay. So then I guess that kind of leads me to what I was going to ask first is what do you think of the, uh, the scientific and historical inaccuracy. Well, I guess we could just pin one down even, you know, and just stick mm -hmm. to one. What do you think of the the scientific inaccuracies in the Bible? Like, you know, like snakes talking and, and donkeys mm -hmm. talking and, um, you know, mm -hmm. flaming flying chariots and, you know, these, these supernatural claims. I mean, yeah. um, if, if we, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, what okay. do you think of that? No, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we have to first, we have to be defining how we're using the word scientific, scientific inaccuracies, because like, so for instance, like, let's just take one of those examples, like a, a snake talking, right? Which, I mean, that's a whole nother conversation about, you know, whether Genesis is recording a literal history, or is it more of like a genre, you know, and more of a kind of like a, a depiction, like an artistic depiction. But anyway, mm -hmm. um, or you know what, let's let's go to something more objective. Like let's say like the resurrection of Jesus. Sure, right? sure. Yeah, let, you know, because I think yeah. all Christians would agree, we believe that to be a, like an objective historical. Yeah, yeah, well, let's go for that, so, sure. Yeah, so like when we're saying like, and so you're asking me like, 
how do I deal with these, his, these scientific inaccuracies, such as like the resurrection of Jesus? And I would say, I, I don't know if you can use that term there like that, because uh, you're saying it's a scientific inaccuracy, but I think what you really mean is how do you, how do you explain these things that cannot possibly happen, right? Like, it's a, you're, I think what you're telling me is this is something that's impossible that cannot happen. Yeah, I mean, people don't normally people, happen. Right, like people don't usually yeah. die for three days and then come back to yeah. life and ascend into heaven. That's usually not a not a thing that happens. <laughs> yeah, and what you know, what we Christians are saying, and I guess what the Bible is saying, that God did something supernatural, right? That he did something that was out of the natural order, something that's out of the ordinary. And so really, I guess the question is, did this supernatural thing happen or not? But I don't think it's a question of scientific inaccuracy. You know what I mean? Like to me, scientific inaccuracy would be more like something like how some people would point to like, you know, there are passages in the Bible that could sound like they think the the sun revolves around the earth. That would be more of something where you say, hey, what do you think about these scientific inaccuracies? But in terms of like the supernatural claims, I think that's more of a challenge of worldview, <laughs> right? That in your worldview, there is no God and therefore there are no mir miraculous things that happen. And in our worldview, there is a God at, who can definitely do miraculous things like raise the dead or even talk through a donkey or a snake. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess that would be the devil, but you know, talk through, talk through a donkey or what have you. And so that's more of a worldview challenge, I think. Okay. I would like to clarify real quick. I don't claim that mm -hmm. there is no God. I claim that I, I, I lack a belief in a God. So I, uh, okay. I've never said that I, that God is not real. I don't say that. I've okay. said it as a joke. Um, <laughs> I've done it, you know, with memes and stuff, of course, but um, uh, in all seriousness, I don't claim uh, that God doesn't exist. Um, I okay, just, I'm just not convinced, you know, like I, um, you know, I lack evidence, you know, I'm happy to accept evidence and, you know, mm -hmm. believe in God, but believing in the God and then worshiping the God, that's a whole other, whole other thing, whether, you know, I can believe in the God, but that wouldn't mean that I'd worship it. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah, yeah just like whether for me, or not like, he's actually worthy of worship. Yeah. Um, so it's like, we have no other examples, um, of, donkeys speaking words you know there's there's no other to my knowledge at least there's no other examples of donkeys <laughs> speaking um you know asking their owners why they're you know hitting them or whatever so it's like how do you know that that actually happened you know in in the bible that 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 was actually a, a thing that happened or that somebody was you know just telling a fairy tale i guess yeah so, I mean, it's definitely possible that it's just a fairy tale, right? Um, I, I think, though, that we, by definition, we're saying that this is a miracle, meaning it's something that is happening that's out of the ordinary, that mm -hmm. could only happen if some supernatural being like a god made it happen. So, I think if we say, well, no other donkeys talk, so therefore it couldn't have happened, that's, you know, that that's almost a circular argument, because it's basically you're saying, well, this miraculous thing couldn't happen because miracles don't happen, right? Like, it, you know what I mean? But the whole definition of a miracle is that it's something that's happening that's outside of the natural order because there is some sort of supernatural being or power that's making it happen. But to, to go to your question, so if we're talking about something that is supernatural, how could we possibly have any evidence for it? And so I think because of that, it, it falls into more of like a historical claim. And I think the way that you verify history is different than the way you would verify something in like physics or chemistry, right? You know, physics, chemistry, it's more like you can have like an equation or maybe you can do a test in a laboratory where you can reproduce some sort of like reaction, things like that. But when we're talking about history, um, it's not like that, right? And so the way that I think historians verify uh, whether something happened historically is different. One, it's, it's a little bit less subjective. I think it's a little bit more subjective right? Because I think really what you're dealing with is more like probabilities. Um, you know, barring, you know, obviously in modern history, we have like smartphones and things like that. So, you know, there's more objective evidence like, oh yeah, I have a video of this guy <laughs> doing X, Y, or Z. And so it's a little bit more objective though, you know, even that can be faked, right? So even that is somewhat subjective, but basically you, you compile the evidence around this event 
you know, whether it be eyewitness accounts from, from around that time, you know, how reliable are those accounts? You know, how, how, how confident can we be that those were people who actually lived during that time or people who didn't, you know, whatever. Um, is there any other things like artifacts that would mention this sort of thing or, you know, non-biased non, uh, non sources, things like that, right? You take all those things and you put them together. And I think historians would be able to either say it's fairly probable that this thing happened or it's pretty unlikely that this thing really happened. And I think that's kind of the nature of, of how you study historical events. So kind of going back to, let's say, let, let's say if we we're mm -hmm. talking about the resurrection of Jesus, right. uh, I mean, there's Though I know that you did an episode recently about the Shroud of Turin. Right? Yes, like, I yeah, I did, yeah. Like something more like objective, like an objective object that you could like actually run some sort of like, you know, a, a laboratory test on. But barring that kind of thing, you know, it's a historical claim, right? And so the, the kinds of evidences are, well, okay, you know, what are, the, what are the historical accounts that we have that talk about this Jesus having existed, of him mm. having been um, crucified, of him you know, possibly having been resurrected. Uh, what are those, what are those sources? Are they all just Christian sources? Are there any non-Christian sources? Uh, what is the probability that those, those people are likely to tell the truth or to lie about it and things like that? And I think that, like, let's say with something like the resurrection, or with something like the resurrection, I think that, you know, again, it's, it's, it's probabilities because it's historical, but I think that there is at least some evidence, you know, that would suggest okay, something happened, right? He, this guy really lived and he died and his believers thought that he rose from the dead and, um, and a movement started out of it. So I guess that kind of leads me to how do you know that, I, like the Bible claims that there was, you know, a couple hundred witnesses to, you know, the resurrection. How do you know that even those witnesses were real and existed because, you know, none of them, Get, you know wrote anything down then you know none of them wrote any you know mm. second bible or something like hey i saw a guy rise from the <laughs> dead today you know i saw a bunch of zombies yeah. um you know th there's no other independent of the bible and the quran i guess um it's it's kind of mutually exclusive to the bible and the quran that it, it only mentions the witnesses in there you know th we have no independent sources for mm. these so why why should we believe one singular source? Like for George Washington example, like for example, like none of us knew who George Washington is. He's, you know, long dead, mm -hmm. but we have many, 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 many independent sources referencing George Washington and what he did and the, you know, the things he did, but we don't have that for Jesus. We have the Bible, we have the Quran and the Quran just kind of copies what the bible says about him it doesn't it, it mm -hmm. except minus him being god part it, it just says yeah. that he was a prophet but um yeah so just how do you how do you know that i mean how do you know yeah so i mean there's two conversations here I'll, I'll get into the more interesting one for you like one conversation would be you know whether or not because like the bible itself is actually uh, made up of many sources right it's they're not all written by the same person so, you know, I mean, in some sense, you could say that the Bible is multiple sources within itself. But let, let's say, yeah, like, I mean, obviously, for somebody like you, who is more skeptical about it, like, I don't want to, I don't want this historical claim about Jesus to be purely relying on um, the eyewitness accounts of people who are Christians, right? Because it seems like they could be biased, right? So how do I believe this thing based solely on the word of people who are believers? So let's say you did lay aside the biblical account. I mean, true, the biblical account is the most, uh, the most thorough, uh, thorough is probably not the, the best word, but you know, like the, the, the best and more, most thorough account of these things. But there are accounts of Jesus and his life and his ministry from non-Christian sources as well. Um, so I'm not an expert on these things, so we could probably Google afterwards to really have like a thorough <laughs> list, sure, right? Like right. Just kind of going off of the top <laughs> of the, the dome and what I can remember. Right, right. You know, we do have some uh, references to Jesus, like let's say from um, Roman historians. The, the only one that, I, that comes to mind is a guy named Tacitus. 
right? So that we have uh, a record of, and he's like from the first century, right? So he's from the first century, uh, Jesus's time. And uh, he wrote a letter to the emperor at the time, basically trying to ask about what to do with these Christians, right? Like this, this Christian problem that keeps popping up. And uh, he does make mention of Jesus. Uh, he makes mention that he was crucified. I think it's that one. Um, he, he does make mention that, you know, based, you know, like, so, so you have Tacitus, uh, there's another guy, Pliny, <laughs> but I, I believe he has the beer or an ale or something named after him these days, Pliny. Um, but yeah, he, I believe he was, I might be getting confused uh, at exactly the rules, but he's also a non-Christian uh, Roman source. And um, he also makes reference to Jesus. And uh, there's the the uh, Jewish historian, um, oh my goodness, he's the most famous probably uh, Jewish historian from the first century, and his name is escaping me right now, um, Josephus. So Josephus, who also is not a Christian, and he makes reference uh, to Jesus. Uh, and so, and, and there's also some Greek sources. So we do have some non-Christian references from the first uh, century that talk about Jesus. And so just to boil it down, because I can't remember which pieces of information come from exactly which of those sources, but to boil it down, some of the, the brute facts that we know about Jesus is one, there was a guy from the first century named Jesus, who was a Jew, who did amass a following, you know, as a, as a rabbi, as a teacher, who did have the reputation of being some sort of like miracle worker or healer, and who, and there was sort of this rumor that he rose from the dead, or at least that his body went missing yeah. and this movement of Christianity sprang out of it. So those are yeah. sort of the brute facts you can get purely from non-Christian sources. Yeah. See, I think the thing is here is that I'm not necessarily concerned with whether Jesus existed or not. I ha I'm, I'm happy to, you know, accept that he was a real person. Um, there's a couple of mythicists out there that have some pretty good arguments that Jesus may not have existed. Um, you know, like, um, I think his name is David Fitzgerald or something. And, um, a couple other guys out there, Barterm and, you know, they're all mythicists. Um, I don't necessarily stand on that plane. They have good arguments, but I think there's a lot more pointing towards, like you mentioned with like the Josephus and Roman stuff with, um, claims of, you know, Jesus great. You know, he more than likely was a real, real person. Um, my thing here is was he divine you know did he have supernatural powers and could come back to you know life after being dead for three days and um you know cure leprosy and blindness and you know all these different things um yeah. how i mean yeah so i mean uh, and so kind of going back to like what we we're talking about in terms of like how do we verify something happened in history right and it, it really is dependent on what kinds of sources that we have for that event, how reliable they are, and um, they kind of make that event either more or less probable. So like in this case, let's say with Jesus. So, okay, let, let's say just it's a given, we're accepting that he really did exist. Um, but what you're asking is how do we know that he's divine? Or how do we know that we, he really did these things that the Bible talks about, like miracles or rising from the dead? And again, I mean, we don't know for sure. Like we don't have any like smoking gun that can say 100% boom, right? Like you can't, you can't argue against this, but really what we have is just these sources, right? So now we have Christian sources, which are claiming, yes, he did do miracles. Yes, he did rise from the dead. And that's how this Christian movement started. Mm -hmm. And then you have now these non-Christian sources who obviously are not um, believers, right? So the way they describe these things is different from somebody who is a believer. They don't, accept that he was the messiah or anything like that but they do they do seem to verify that he did have a reputation at least of being a miracle worker and there was this rumor that he rose from the dead or at least his body went missing <laughs> right? right right because it would be pretty easy if if like these are first century historians right or first century people who have a vested interest in disproving this Jesus myth. Like that's the context for a lot of these writings, right? We can't get rid of this Jesus thing, like this Christian thing. And so it would be pretty easy to just say, yeah, they keep saying he's alive, but here's his body sitting in the grave, right? So 
at least I think what we can get from, from these other sources is that his body seemed to go missing. They don't think that he rose from the dead or anything like that, but they seem to kind of acknowledge at least that it seems like his body went missing. And so you have two competing versions of how you explain these facts, but at least you have a convergence on the fact that there was this guy, Jesus. He had at least the reputation of being a miracle worker, though they would probably think he was some sort of shyster or a con man or something like that. Right. And um, his uh, believers think that he rose from the dead, even though, you know, these guys probably think that maybe somebody stole his body or whatever, however they try to explain it away. But, you know what I mean? So I think for us as the observers of this historical event, you know, we have to evaluate that evidence and say, okay, what do we feel like is the best explanation of, you know, this, the convergence of these accounts? And does it make it more or less likely that Jesus really did rise from the dead? I just, I think it's just the real thing that's just, you know, I understand the, the probability and stuff, but just people just don't come back to dead, come back to life after being dead for three days. That just, that yeah. just, that just, a, that's never happened. You know, you, um, yeah. being dead is a very specific process and um, just, you know, I, I just, I can't, I can't believe that a guy died and then rose back to life after being dead for three whole days in a tomb and then ascended into heaven um, based off of what one book is essentially saying. Um, I, I, cause like, I guess we could go this route. Um, how, how do you know that like the God of Hinduism, you know, Brahman isn't the true God and that, you know, you've been following the wrong God this whole time. I mean, how can you rule that out? What if this whole time you've been praying and it's been to the wrong God, you know, um, yeah. how did you determine that this one is the right God? You know, cause I could have, I think we had this discussion on your podcast, but you know, I could have a Muslim mm -hmm. come up with the Quran or better, you know, <laughs> Hindu come up with the Bhagavad Gita and then, you know, Christian come up with the Bible and, you know, we've, got two different gods pretty similar traits both looking at bibles and they they're both gonna you know claim probability and stuff like that with their gods but you know all in all they're just books you know it's mm -hmm. for me it's about empirical evidence um yeah. so i mean how did you rule out these other religious texts sure. and before i answer that i just want to kind of go back to the last statement that you made yeah um about you know People just, I can't believe it because it just doesn't happen. People don't come back to life, right? That's just not something that happens. And again, I, I, again, I think that's, we're, we're having competing worldviews here. Like you're coming from a worldview where nothing outside of the natural order should happen, right? Where I'm coming from the worldview that there is a, a God who is supernatural, who if he really does exist, there's no reason why he couldn't intervene and bring somebody back from the dead. And so like, to me, when I hear you right. say, I can't believe it because that just doesn't, that just doesn't happen. Like to me, that feels a little, just a little bit circular. Cause it's basically like you're saying miracles don't happen because they can't happen. Right. Like, um, but that's only true if you're already presupposing that there is no God, there is no supernatural power, but anyway, so let, let me get back to your, 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 your actual question. Um, yeah, you know, I'll be 100% honest. I have not <laughs> investigated these other religious texts in any right, extensive right. manner. I have read a little bit of the Quran. I actually took a class on um, Islam in, in college. So I did at least learn about Islam from a, you know, somebody who is a professing Muslim and who is a professor of, of religion. So at least I know something about it, at least in that sense. Um, and I have a very little experience also with the Book of Mormon. So I, I'll preface my comments with saying it is totally true. I am not well-versed in any of those books. And so I would say that I have not eliminated them as being possibly true because I have studied them extensively. Um, I mean, I guess because, you know, at, at the core, like, like I said, when I was sharing my story at the beginning, I didn't come to believe these things because somebody shared scientific arguments with me or historical evidence with me or anything like that. Um, 
I came to believe because of a personal conviction and personal uh, experience. But I'm pleasantly surprised to find that there are, you know, historical, there, that historical archeological type things do at least give some credence to what I believe. But I, I didn't come to believe in that way. So the reason why I have rejected these other faiths just out of hand without really fully investigating all of them is just because um, in my faith, the Christian faith, um, you know, we believe that there is only one God and um, that it's, you know, the God of the Bible, the Jesus, right? And so um, I can, because I believe that, I automatically assume that these other faiths are false and uh, what they would be what I would call um, idols. And possibly, <laughs> now we're really getting into like the spiritual, but uh, possibly uh, fueled by what we would consider to be demonic um, or just, you know, false, false gods. Okay. <laughs> That's a very poor way to explain what it is. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, answer that question. Sorry. So I guess let me, I'm not 100% sure. So I'm just going to just throw the question out there. Are you a yeah. creationist? Like, do you, do you just, I mean, do you believe Could you that, define creationist for me? I mean, I yeah, I guess that God created. <laughs> I guess I guess you could say the way the Bible puts it. You know, did God essentially over the course of seven days create the earth and the universe and everything in it, or do you believe like natural processes and you know Big Bang cosmology? Um, I mean, roughly. Yeah. Um, I am open. I I do believe so. I, I'm op my belief about exactly how the creation went down is open because I am unsure of the genre of Genesis uh, one through two, or, or I guess you could say one through three. Um, so like, so for instance, there are some, like, I mean, I, I do believe in the infallibility of scripture. So if Genesis is intending to give us a literal account of the creation, then I am perfectly happy to believe that God created everything in six 24 hour periods. Um, there are some who have looked at the language of that and that word that is um, that we translate in English as day. Um, some have noted that the original Hebrew word yom could also mean a period of time. And it, that period of time could be, you know, a short period of time. It could be a long period of time. It could be some, an ambiguous period of time. So, you know, there were some who take a literal view of Genesis, but they also acknowledge there's room in the language to believe that it's not necessarily 24 hour days. And I'm like, okay, I could see that too. I'm not sure. Um, but then there's also some who look at the creation account in Genesis and they say, actually, it looks more like, almost like a poem. Like it, it's, it's almost right, more like right. a prologue, yeah, like a creation that. poem. And right. there's some, like you can see some things, right? Like days three and days, uh, days one through three and days four through six, they have some like parallels right? Um, and I, I, I should be a better Bible student and be able to tell you exactly what those parallels are, but like, on one you're good. Days, you're like, good. No worries. Yeah. We're not, oh, yeah, we're like, not I'm, Bible experts over yeah, here. Don't we're, tell just my seminary guys, professors. we're just guys having a talk here. Come on. Yeah. Cut us a break. Yeah, don't tell my seminary professors or my podcast. <laughs> right. Like, right. Like the one that jumps out is like day one, like God said, let there be light. And then I think day four is like when he has like the the, the moon and the sun like so, yeah. The, yeah right so there's like these like parallels where ba basically people feel like the genre we, we still believe that it's you know inspired word of god but the genre of that section is not intended to be like a literal blow by blow this is exactly how it happened but it's like kind of figurative and there's like some liter a literary devices being i guess used. how would you know that you know at what point do you you know, read the Bible and you say, this is, you know, allegory, but this isn't, but this is, or mm -hmm. this is, you know, just a story, but this isn't, you know, cause the Bible yeah. doesn't really differentiate. It just kind of says everything. And, uh, you know, it doesn't have like a intro thing that says, Hey, by the way, before we, you know, tell the story mm -hmm. of Genesis and the creation of the universe, this is just a parable or something like that. You know, it's, um, it doesn't differentiate. So, I mean, how, how can you determine the differentiation? Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, that's a really good question. So <laughs> I appreciate the astute question. 
Um, I think that in a lot of places it does differentiate. Like for for instance, like again, I know we talk about the Bible as one book and we do see it right, as a unified right. whole. But I mean, really, it's many books, right? Yeah. There's 30, man, this is another number. Yeah, well, there's 66 in total. <laughs> yeah, 39 <laughs> in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, I believe. See, I didn't, I um, didn't know that off the top of my head, so you got me there. <laughs> yeah, and, and within those books, there's a lot of different genres that all of us can clearly acknowledge. So for instance, like the first five books, right, the, book of, the books of Moses, um, are definitely like historical narratives. Right um, now, obviously, the, the the debate that we're having right now in terms of Genesis, the opening chapters is okay. Is the opening chapters of Genesis of the same vein as the rest mm-hmm. of the book, like just historical narratives? But I mean, we see a clear genre there: historical narrative, right, describing something that happened historically. Um, but then, like, you get to uh, the Book of Psalms, right? Like, clearly, that is the genre of that book is that they're like poems or songs, right? Right. Right. And, and so the way that you would approach a, a song or poetry and interpret it is much different than a historical narrative. And then the book of Proverbs, you know, it's a book of Proverbs, right? Like uh, wise sayings, like from a sage teacher, yeah. right? And the way that you would approach that and interpret that is different from the way you would interpret a historical narrative. And then you get to like the prophets, right? And, you know, the prophets are also kind of a different genre, right? But these, these writings that are kind of like oracles that supposedly a prophet has received from God that he's relaying to the people. Then you go to the New Testament and you have, you know, the the gospels are pretty much like historical narratives. So they're pretty similar in genre to like, you know, the the first five books of the Bible or something like that. But then you've got um, the epistles, which are letters, right? Letters written from, you know, a person to a particular church or a particular person. Again, that's a different genre and the way you interpret it is different from those. So I feel like a lot of the genres are apparent and then within, like, so for instance, if you're reading like the Gospels, um, within there you have historical narrative, but then you also have accounts where Jesus is teaching, right? So these are like supposedly relaying like words that Jesus actually spoke and, and taught people. Within that, you know, you have places where Jesus is definitely telling parables or stories, right? So I, I feel like most of the time the, the genres are apparent. Yeah. So yeah, I, I can get behind that, that, you know, psalms and proverbs you know those are very clearly just poetry and you know good sayings and stuff like that um, that's very clear no doubt about that but when the bible is making claims it's making positive claims like jesus rose from the dead or you know the creation this is how god created the universe or you know snakes talking whatever you know it's it's making positive claims is the thing yeah. so i mean it, it's it's just like it's making these claims, but it's not really justifying them, I guess. So it's like I could write a book and put, you know, really whatever I want and in it. And, you know, maybe in a couple thousand years, someone picks it up, says, wow, this, you know, this guy, I don't know who this guy was, you know, totally anonymous author. But, you know, he says that Father there was a Calvin. dragon in his living room or something. But, yeah, um, yeah I, I guess it's it, when it's making a positive claim. Um, mm-hmm. Wouldn't you think that that's not just, you know, a, a parable or just a, a poem or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So for instance, like for somebody like me, um, who is, you know, who, who believes very much in the authority of the Bible and the reliability of the Bible, like w- most of the things that I read in, let's say like the gospels or like, even in like the, you know, the historical narratives in the old Testament, uh, unless, unless the text gives me reason to think otherwise, I accept them as being uh, historically true things that happen. Now, do I have, you know, do I have evidence for that I can verify most of those things? No, I do not. There is some, right? Like there is a lot of archeology. span There's a lot of like, you know, anthropology and sociology where, you know, they can actually verify some things. And like, even in books that talk about ancient histories, like even in like Genesis and Exodus and stuff like that, but they certainly can't prove everything. They don't have evidence for everything, but you know, where there is evidence, it, I'm pleasantly, uh, I, I find it nice to find that a lot of times it, it, it is in sync with kind of what the Bible describes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, like, do I have any evidence that a donkey spoke? No. Do I have any evidence that a snake spoke? No. 
there's a lot of things I, I don't have evidence for in the Bible. Others. So then my next question, sorry to cut you off, would be. No, 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 um, go ahead. I talk a lot. So just no, you're, you're good. Just you're good. I just wanted, question. before I lost my train of thought yeah. is if you, is, I guess, why would you believe it? If you don't have evidence that donkeys talk or that snakes talk, or, you know, mm-hmm. I guess, why would you believe it? Yeah. So, I mean, I would say that there are, like for me, the, 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 and not just for me, for Christians, the center of the faith is Jesus. Okay, that is the central claim that everything in the scriptures build to. And so my central belief is the conviction that Jesus is real, <laughs> but that he also, that he really is the son of God and he came to save the world, right? And that he rose from the dead. That's the central claim and that's the central belief that I have. And because I believe that, and because, you know, the, the, I believe that Jesus also attested to the authority of the rest of the scriptures. Right. I, be, I accept the rest of it as well. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's an article of faith. Okay. So um, I guess you, you kind of mentioned there, um, we'll kind of cut it here in about 10, 10 minutes or so, but um, I guess uh, you, you claim that, that Jesus, you know, was here to essentially save the world and, and uh, I guess make it worthy i guess you could i guess that's kind of a weird word to use but um (laughs) but so i guess i'm kind of i'm gonna kind of go there um so for example um like in exodus um i'm gonna go there when in exodus 21 (laughs) where it mentions um you may beat your male or female slave as long as they don't die within a day or two um how come, you know, Jesus said all, all these really great things. I'm not denying that Jesus said a lot of really great things. Um, do I think they were, you know, unique to him that no one else was saying them? Uh, I don't know, you know, I'm, but I mean, not to say that they weren't still good things he was saying, um, supposedly, but why wouldn't, you know, it would have saved a lot of trouble and, and saved a lot of people's lives, um, if he would have just put one verse in there that said, don't own people as property. Um, so why, I mean, what do you think about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's a, it's, it's a tough question. I mean, it's a question that I also wrestle with because um, one of the, you know, like one of the things that I said early, earlier in our conversation was that, you know, I believe that the, the Bible, the writers of the, the Bible were inspired, but it's not like, you know, they were in a trance and they were just, you know, transcribing, right? Like, it, again, this is an article of faith, but it, it's kind of, it, it's similar to, well, actually I won't go there, but um, there's this, this, this nature to it where basically God is inspiring the work, but at the same time, these people are fully themselves and these works fully reflect their own personalities the the time and the milieu within within which they lived and the cultures within which they lived and so one of the things that is both uh both good but also a little bit maddening about some of the some of the bible is that every piece of scripture that you read is fully you can tell is fully within the 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 culture with with from which it sprang, right? So like- Yeah, I, I would Moses, agree with that, yeah. Yeah, like Moses, you don't hear Moses saying things that would have been impossible for a person within his time period and will you to say. And, and same goes for anybody else, the apostle right. Paul, whatever. Right, right? Like, I would agree with that. They're, they're fully situated within the, their culture and, and the mind of a person living in those times. Yet, the thing that you also always see in the scripture is that they are fully situated within their particular- culture or time period, but always elevating, like always elevating beyond what that culture, where that culture was at. Now, I'll be honest, that's not a great answer because I still, I I agree with you. I find some things like, let's say in the Old Testament laws, like just mad me. Yeah. Because it's just like, it's like, instead of, you know, I get it. He said great things, you know, but it would have taken one sentence one sentence to say don't own people as property and that would have saved 
millions of people, you know, possibly even billions. I mean, for all we know, but yeah. it's, well, you know, it's, we, we could have an argument. We could have an argument in terms of whether or not that would have actually saved people from slavery, because the, the truth is there are many things that the scriptures tell us not to do, but humans do it anyway. So <laughs> like in that sense, I, I don't know how that's many fair, but just when, when you look at like, yeah, chattel slavery, for example, like in, you know, the Americas, you know, when we were, mm-hmm. you know, capturing African-American or all Africans and bringing them over to America and such, and, you know, all that crazy stuff was going on with all the slavery stuff. Yeah. A lot of that was, you know, they were referring to the Bible for a lot of the reasons why they were doing these things. You know, the Bible says that you can, you know, it doesn't say you can't own people as property. So I would, I would assume that it definitely would have cut down a lot of that if if just one sentence was put in there yeah so you know i mean so i agree with you that it's it's a difficult thing like i can't even fully explain why god didn't like you, you can definitely see in every place in scripture he's moving the needle of culture where yeah in every place even though yeah like god why didn't you just have moses come out and just make a clear statement like don't do these things or whatever, but you do see that he raises the bar um, and, and moves the culture forward towards, you know, these things, you know, freedom, love, equality, things like that. And uh, also in the New Testament. And, and so it's kind of this weird thing where it is comforting because it, in some sense, it's comforting because it shows me that these, these documents are not anachronistic, like, you know what I mean? Like if they're all saying things that just would be impossible for a person of that time to say, that kind of casts suspicion on it, right? Like it, this is too anachronistic to really, truly, genuinely be written by a person living in this period or that period. So there is some comfort in that, but yeah, I, I do wish sometimes in some places where it was more clear, but mm-hmm. I think when you look at like you, uh, kind of some of the things that you're pointing to that, yeah. And so because of that, yeah, there are people who, you know, you honestly, you can, kind of make the Bible say almost anything if you really want to, right? Um, yeah, you know, kind people of. have mangled, mangled, <laughs> mangled it pretty bad. But at the same time, you see historically also that a lot of the, the greatest movements towards peace, towards love, towards, um, you know, serving the, the poor, the disenfranchised, the, the oppressed, even the ending of slavery uh, arose uh, from Christians and arose from principles that they were seeing in the Bible. Um, and so do I wish that some places there were clearer, faster jumps forward? Yes. But at the same time, um, I, I do see that God is always kind of moving, moving the, moving the bar up and, and moving humanity. Forward. That's fair. That's fair. Um, yeah. Okay, great. Um, so I've got just one more question for you. Um, and then sure. we'll kind of cut it here for the day. Um, just a question that my wife wanted me to ask you. Um, okay. Because, you know, my wife, she's been atheist her entire life. She's never been relig- religious. Her parents, you know, were not religious. She frankly wasn't really allowed to believe in that type of stuff, um, you know, growing up. So she didn't. Um, so she wanted me to kind of ask you, um, and I was going to kind of ask this, I was thinking about asking it is, uh, do you believe that atheists will go to hell? if hell exists. Um, cause I mean, I, I have John three eighteen written down, um, which mm-hmm. that's, that's where it states that, you know, if, if you don't believe in, you know, Jesus as your Lord and savior, then, you know, that's it. Um, so it's like, mm-hmm. am I going to go to hell for not being convinced that hell is real? Uh, yeah. I mean, that's a tough question. I mean, first of all, I don't, I, I do, based on my belief in scripture, I do believe that there is some sort of eternal consequence, or you could even say eternal punishment hmm. that, um, that God has talked about in the scripture. Um, I mean, obviously, certainly I do not decide who goes there and who does not. Um, and I think I dispute, sorry, this is a very, I know that this is, feels like I'm waffling, but I'll get there, I promise. Um, and I do also feel like there is, and we talked about this actually when I interviewed you that um, the Bible talks about uh, talks about hell, and it does describe it in certain ways. But I think there's good evidence to believe that it's very figurative, 
So for instance, like, you know, one of the imageries of hell would be like a place of fire, but then also one of the imageries is a place of eternal darkness, which fire mm-hmm. and darkness, like, right, right. <laughs> you know, like those, those images don't really like line up, right? So that suggests to me that it's figurative. Um, and so I think there is, what, what I do feel like is concrete is that whatever hell is, it's a separation from God uh, and possibly an eternal separation from God. And so going back to your question, like, do I believe atheists or really just any person who um, does not believe in Jesus or does not right, accept, right. you know, Jesus's free gift or whatever, a forgiveness would go to hell. Uh, I mean, it seems like that's what scripture is indicating. Um, but, you know, I would just argue that, you know, that maybe the picture that we have is of like, just like this place of fire and, be, you know, just people just being kind of dropped into it. But I think it's a better described as a um, separation from God and it's kind of like people who live their entire lives just sort of kind of rejecting, rejecting God. In the end, he gives them over to that, that want, and he yeah. separates himself from them eternally. Yeah. So go ahead with yeah. Yeah. Um. So I just don't really understand. You know, I could essentially do good all my life. You know, um, never kill anybody um, never fatally harm anybody or, you know, um, you know, rob any banks or anything like that, live my life, raise kids, have a family, go to job and go to my job 40 hours a week, you know, until I eventually retire, live a long, happy life. And then all that is thrown out the window just because I'm not convinced of the Christian God. Mm-hmm. I just don't understand how that adds up to eternal punishment. Yeah. Like for, fi- for essentially finite crimes when really, I mean, to like, as of now, I haven't committed any crime. I've never been a jail or anything like that. I've never been arrested. So um, mm-hmm. I've never, to my knowledge, done any serious harm to anybody or anything um, mm-hmm. at least intentionally or that I know of, but um, yeah. You know, essentially, if I were to die tomorrow, mm-hmm. I mean, that that essentially would all be for nothing. I would get eternal punishment um, or eternal darkness. I would get anything but paradise, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I just don't understand yeah, how know. that's and that's what I sorry. And that's when I say, like, if the God was if your God was proven to exist, that's cool. You know, I would totally acknowledge that he exists and that he's real and that there is a heaven and a hell and Jesus was God and all that stuff. I would totally accept that, but I would not worship that God. That's kind of, that's kind of where I come from. And, you know, I don't know if any, anything that I could say could necessarily convince you that this is fair. Uh, I I feel like there's a couple of different strands of conversation we could branch off into from what you've said. So, but I know that we're trying to wrap it up here. Right. Right. You know, go too long, but you know, so, so, so one point I think is the, the way that, the way that I think the Bible describes the problem, you know, the problem of sin or whatever, it, it sometimes actually describes it almost like a disease, right? Almost like a virus, you could say, right? Where there is this infection that has infiltrated humanity. And this, this disease called sin, it, it corrupts us and tends us towards evil or tends us towards rebellion, tends us towards just doing things that we were not intended by God to do, not, not created to do. And that is the source of all of the suffering and the pain, the you know, injustices, the you know, inequalities, all of that stuff that we see in the world, the source of it is this disease called sin. And the claim, I guess, that the Bible is making is that all of humanity is infected with this disease, that from from the most evil person who commits the most heinous crimes to even just regular Joes like you and me, that we all have, we're all carriers of this disease, right? And as long as this disease persists, uh, suffering, evil, injustice, all that stuff will always be 
in the world. And so really the, the, the good news is that Jesus has come to free us of that disease. But the only way, in that, in that sense, maybe the analogy kind of, so, okay, let me, I'm not doing a good job explaining this, but so even though it's true, like, yeah, you know I mean? Like you and I, I mean, I don't think either of us have committed any great crimes, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, sure, sometimes we're selfish, sometimes we've lied, sometimes maybe we've we're human. stolen, yeah. you know, things like, yeah, I mean, we, we, we do those things, but none of us has done any great crime, uh, certainly not like some of these, you know, crazy criminals out there, but we're still carriers of that thing where like, here's a thought, like, so, so a lot of people I think don't know that this is kind of the point of the story of Noah, whether or not you believe it's a historical, true historical event or not. But I think the point of the story of Noah is that what would happen if you took the very, very best human being and you just started the whole thing over with just the very best of the best of humanity? Would that solve the problem of evil? And what you find in the Noah story is very quickly, immediately after you know, everything happens and it starts over with Noah and his family, we're right back in the same place. And so I think that's sort of the, the premise of sin in the Bible is that it's true. Yeah, you know, I mean, maybe because of the environment that we grew up in, maybe the upbringing that we had or whatever it might be, we didn't turn into crazy criminals, but we're still carriers of that thing. And even if we started humanity over with just Calvin's family or just Jay's family, these problems would still persist. You know, pretty soon, suffering, pain, injustice, inequality, all of these things would appear again. And so it's really, I think, a story of God. Like maybe maybe what hell is, is for people who refuse the antidote, it's a quarantining of them off forever. You know, he wants to give you that opportunity to receive the antidote, but if you refuse it, he's not going to force you to have it. So maybe that's another way to look at it. I, I, like I said, I don't think that necessarily convinces you that it's yeah. But yeah, it's so like it's at. it's not necessarily that I'm rejecting the antidote type of thing. It's that he hasn't given me evidence that he has the an antidote. You know, like he he's just saying I've got the antidote, and I'm over here like, all right, give it to me, give it to me. I'm ready. I'm sick. I'm ready. Give it to me. And you know, he's like, I got, I got it. I got it's right over here. I got it. I got it, <laughs> yeah. bud. And I'm like, what? okay, hand it over. Yeah. And he's like, I've trust me, I've got it. You know, just have faith. Yeah. I got it. You know, um, and I just uh, yeah. so yeah. That's just kind of where I'm yeah. at. Um, no, I mean, and that totally makes sense. It, it, I could see from your perspective where it could seem kind of unfair. It's like, if I need this thing, why don't you make it more apparent to me that I need this thing, right? Like, if you make it more apparent to me that I need you, then I will accept just, it. But why don't give you me some it? empirical evidence and yeah. give me a reason to worship you and we're good, you know? Yeah. But um, so, and, and I, I don't want to keep keep it going too long. But sure. Like, I, one thing that I will point out that I think sometimes surprises people is that I think sometimes we have this expectation, like if God was real, he would do anything and everything he could to make it apparent to me. But actually you have a lot of stories in the Bible where God kind of puts some of the, the response, a lot of actually responsibility back on people. Like, I mean, you have stories of Jesus who basically, like Jesus will come into your town, but Jesus will just walk right past you if, if you're not really open to it as well, right? Like, so, I mean, I guess it, what I'm saying is it's a false assumption to assume that God is, I'll do anything and everything I have to, to, you know, I'll stand in front of you, I'll write it in the clouds, I'll do everything I have to do to make you see me. But actually, if you take the Bible's um, kind of description, he's like, no, actually, uh, there is some responsibility on you. You have to come to me with an openness. You have to be open. You have to be able to, you have to be willing to leave some of your, your preconceived notions or your pride at the door and come to me with an open heart and I will reveal myself to you. Whether or not that's true, you know, people have to kind of, I guess, find out for themselves. But um, I just think that that surprises people sometimes. Yeah, okay. That's fair, okay. All right, well, <laughs> what, what we'll do is we'll, um, we'll put this conversation on hold for now. Um, maybe I can have you back for a part two and maybe we can continue on because i've still got like a whole freaking page of, <laughs> of questions that i haven't even yeah. touched on that that i'd be open to asking you um but yeah that was yeah. really interesting conversation um i'm glad that we cleared a couple things up and uh you know i've i've got a little bit more of an understanding of where you're coming from and where your you know your faith is and everything um but yeah that's 
that's going to be pretty much a show for today. But um, I mean, Jay, I seriously appreciate you coming on. I mean, I always have a great time talking to you and, um, you know, just having conversations about this stuff. It's all about just being open to the conversation because a lot of people just are closed off to that conversation, both on the theistic end and the atheistic end. You know, a lot of people are very mm-hmm. closed off. So I'm glad that I've got someone like you who is, uh, you know, able to talk yeah. about this st- type of stuff and open to it. So I appreciate you for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Anytime, I'd be happy to have, uh, I'd be happy to be on as many times as you're willing to invite me and, yeah, like let, let's keep the yeah, this would be awesome. Going. And maybe one time we can try to do like a live thing. Maybe we can try to like go live or something together. And maybe like <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, maybe like get some audience questions or something. That'd be something interesting. Maybe I can look into maybe trying to set something like that up. But yeah, sure, with yeah, that, let's do it. Yeah, awesome. Uh, so Jay Lee, thank you so much for coming on. Um, feel free to plug anything that you would like right now. You've got a couple minutes to plug whatever you'd like to plug. Sure. Yeah, so I would just say if, if you are a person who is, you know, an atheist or agnostic, but you're enjoying this kind of conversation, I really want to encourage you to check out my podcast, Intro to God podcast. Um, like I said, it's super short. There's only four episodes. They're like 20 minutes long. Um, the, the, the season focuses on arguments for the existence of God. And so just it'll give you something to think about. And so uh, you can find that podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts. So I'd really encourage you to check that out. And if you want to connect with me, feel free to reach out to me. Awesome. And with that, that's the whole episode for today, guys. And remember, my uh, appearance on Truth Wanted, the uh, show hosted by the 501c3 organization, the Atheist Community of Austin. I was supposed to do that on May 27th, but unfortunately, objectively, Dan had some things come up. So my appearance on that show has been rescheduled to July 1st at 7 p.m. Central or 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So call in on Truth Wanted on the uh, Truth Wanted YouTube channel on July 1st, 2022. And uh, tell me what you believe and why you believe it. But with that, Jay, thank you so much. And we'll talk to you another time. Thanks, Calvin.